afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to PATH Let's Talk, Let's Listen. I am Kathy Thomas, the founder and president of PATH, Positive Attitudes Thinking Higher. Uh, we are located in Raleigh, North Carolina, but today we're bringing you greetings from Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, with the social injustice that's going on today, we wanted to bring that to the platform and have a conversation. Um, from the recent death of George Floyd, it has spiked an interest with a lot of the majority of the population and bringing interest to what can we do to make a difference? Um, what can be effective um, in making a difference in the social injustices? So today joining us, we have Wilmington City Councilman Kevin Spears. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for joining us. And we also have um, Reverend Kojo Nantenbu, also out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, so today, um, Kevin, we're bringing you to the table today. Um, for starters, um, you've been in city council position for about a year now? No. It's been longer than that? No. Shorter than that. I was about to say. Feels like your fir your first term. I was about to say your, fir well, your first term. <laughs> this is your first term. My first term. Uh, I have about six months. About six months. I haven't had the opportunity to personally congratulate you. Thank so you. congratulate, Thank congratulate you. you on that. Um, looks like you've hit the ground and took off running because I've been seeing a lot of things that you've been doing. Um, for starters, can you tell the audience what is the position of the city council? What is your job description? So, city council, main council is for the city is ordinances, zonings, police, and fire. Okay. You know, because we're Wilmington, we're within New Hanover County. So, New Hanover County are schools, um, health and human services. And, and then you have the state. So we're, we're it seems like a, a small thing, but it's, it's quite the job. It's really, it's, it's more than people think it is. And, and then you, you know, um, it's funny, I think, it's council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, but a lot of times people think it's council, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. <laughs> I'm not a counselor, you know. Um, but you know, just everything that's taking place in Wilmington, because people know me, they want me to be a part of it. They want me to help with, you know, what decisions should be made or any discrepancies they see, any anything that happens now, that's that's what people want me to do. But mainly it's just zonings, ordinances, and um, fire department, police department. Okay. And Prior to you becoming a councilman, you were a well-known advocate as well in Wilmington. Can you speak on some of the projects you've been involved in? Um, I started off as the vice president of Peace for the Port. So that was a non-profit, non-violent youth organization. Okay. And that's really what spurred everything for me. I'm just working with Peace for the Port, having the rallies, having... Um, marches, um, just anytime something happened in the city that was youth-related and gun violence-related, we, we tried to take a stance on that. And it just, the platform built, just it grew and grew and grew. And you know, when, when you're dealing with things that happen in a place, of course you get, you become more concerned about other things. You, you know, it just, it evolved. So then you start paying attention to policy, you start paying attention to um, schools and you know laws and organizations and things of that nature and economics as well so it just grew so um i guess i just 
outgrew the role. Um, I was still trying to um, do everything that was related to the youth violence because it's still going on. It's still going on right now to this day. But then other, other organizations came in and I, I took a step back just to see what other people would do. And, and I got involved in other stuff. So I, I started steering more towards politics after that. Um, in light of social injustice, have you participated in anything in Wilmington? I know that you were um, affiliated with the, the removing of some of the monuments. Is there some things you can touch on in that area? Um, well, I mean, as a council, we just we decided that it was something we need to do, needed to do based on what was going on around the state and what's going on around the nation. Um, I don't want to say that because I was on the council that that was a major push for it. I think that was a big part of it though. I think with everything happening and everybody having a say about these things now and the push and to actually have someone on board that's going to say, you know what, this is something we really need to look at and someone who's going to be vocal about it. I probably was the first person to speak out about it um, in the media, on social media, you know, and being in that official capacity to say, hey, this councilman says that, you know, he wants the, the statues to come down. And I said it last year during the campaign when I was asked during a candidate's forum that I think they needed to come down, and I did. And so, you know, I, I didn't want to get in and change how I was feeling about it. I still feel adamant about them being down, and I'm grateful for them to be down now. And hopefully we'll look for a permanent way to keep them off of out of the middle of Third Street and out of the middle of Market Street. Okay. Reverend Coach Joe. Yes, ma'am. So you are now the pastor of Temple of Truth and Life out of Wilmington, North Carolina. Yes, ma'am. But you also have quite a timeline um, involved in civil rights, uh, former president of the NAACP out of Charlotte. Can you speak a little bit about some of the things you've been involved in, some of your projects? Lately or before? Um, I started out uh, in the 1970s. In 1970, I started an organization called the BYBBC, which was Black Youth Builders of the Black Community. And I started that organization because of the fact that actually during that time, there was nothing for black children to do here. Nothing. There was nowhere for them to go. So I started a program. We got some people together. We started a program. We got a building. We were we had our own library. We were tutoring kids. We would go to the schools and check, you know, on our kids and try to help them out. We did wraparound long before it was called wraparound. We would work with the families to help the kids as much as we can. Uh, but during that period of time, uh, was when they closed Wilson. And they started having trouble with Hargan and Hannibal with the students. And there was a lot going on. The students were griping and raising uh, a lot of questions about the uh, equity that they were having in the school. The children wanted to boycott. And so when they set up the school boycott in February of 1971, uh, we had a lot of students that were coming to BYBBC. Uh, we supported them. We start, We would send food to the church, to Liberty Church, to help feed them and stuff like that. And uh, we also tried to help with getting people to go there to teach them. That was that was actually the beginning. Uh, and then, of course, it turned into the killing of Steve Mitchell, uh, which was one of the first people that was killed here in the last 40, 50 years. 
and he was killed because he was actually going. Uh, white folks had, if you heard of the Wilmington Ten, you know, white folks had surrounded us in our own community. They were coming by shooting at us. Uh, somebody started a fire right around the corner from where we were headquartered at Gregory Church. And Stephen was going to pull the alarm for the police because nobody was trying to put the fire out. And they shot him and killed him. Uh, and that was February the 5th, February the 5th, and so that's how I got mostly indoctrinated into my political action activities. I've always been a civil rights activist. And after that, you know, of course, we did a lot of things with the Wilmington 10. We did a lot of organizing, a lot of uh, marching and stuff like that. And I left Wilmington uh, because they wouldn't give me a job. I was whitewashed, so I couldn't get a job. So I moved to Atlanta to go back to school. I got involved in some stuff then. I left Atlanta because Atlanta had the worst education system I ever seen in my life for children. And I didn't want my children to be dumb. So I moved back to North Carolina. And I moved to Charlotte. And when I got to Charlotte, um, I started an organization with some more people called Citizens for Justice. And that's because they had started killing people in Charlotte. They killed a sister. Um, they shot a sister in the head. Police, she was going with a police officer. Police officer killed her, but it made it look like she was uh, running from the police. She was running from him, who was mm. the police. She ran into a telegram hole, mm. almost killed herself. She was unconscious, and he reached in the car and shot her four times. Mm. Okay, um, and we started an organization, like I said, called uh, Citizens for Justice, and that started my. Uh, community activity, protesting and stuff in Charlotte. And after that, they killed another sister named Elaine Bader, killed the kid. They was killing people right and left. And uh, the organization at that time, we were just doing a whole lot of things like that. But I, I had already gotten into ministry. I was in the ministry when I got there. And uh, I joined the NAACP, and eventually I became the president of the NAACP. And of course, we've always been fighting for equity in the school system equity in, in the government system and fighting against police brutality and the killing of so many of our people because they killed another sister by the name of Elaine Bodiker and they killed her. She was in a car with a white man and there was a traffic uh, inspection to inspect people's license. Now he was a driver. His license the only person that was looking for. He broke out of line and tried to run for somebody. We don't even, they don't even know why he left, but he just broke the line. Well, I had never seen anybody chase. You know, you break the line and don't bother about you. They'll send somebody to get you, but I've never seen anybody get chased. They chased him, chased him and got him cornered, and they fired 40-some shots into the car. He never got hit, but they shot the sister to his own time. She was a passenger, and they killed her so. There's a lot of stuff like that. There Jonathan Farrell, the student, got killed and did a lot of protesting. But uh, I've always, my heart has always been in the community and I've always wanted to be. I, I was a pastor. I pastored the church in Charlotte, but I wanted to come home and finish doing what I had started doing here. So I came home and I started the Temple of Truth, of course. And I started working with Sonia uh, Benetton, with Kevin, and a lot of the people here and getting things done here. But the main reason I'm here is also to teach my people the truth about who they are, from whence they have come, 
teach them the truth about their religious history, who God is, and who they are in reference to God, and how it is under and through them that all religions started from Africa and with African people. And it's no joke, it's no one day, there's no mistake that African people are more spiritual, more godly, more holy, more humble than other people is because God brought religion to us and he has a response. African people have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to make sure that the rest of the world stays open and that we don't become like the world. The world has to become like we were. Not like we are, but like we were. When you study history, you will find out that all religions, the major religions in the world right now, were either founded by or the avatar or the Christ figure of those religions were black people. Uh, Muhammad Ibn Abdullah is supposed to be the founder of Islam. Christ, Christos or Krishna, Krishna was black, and he is the founder of the avatar for the Hindus. And Krishna means black, and when they, when they depict him, they depict him as so black he was blue. Remember him. Oh yeah. yeah, he's so black till he's blue. And then the Buddha, who was of course the founder of another religion, Buddha had broad nose, thick lips, and kinky hair. He was also black. And we also know that the Egyptians brought the first religion on earth. They are the, the founders of all religion. They brought in what is known as materialism. And that's what we actually study here. Materialism is the mother or the father of what is called Christianity, what is called Judaism, what is called Islam, and all the other religions. And when you study the history, you will find out. If you look on Egyptian frescoes, you will see what holding hands are because they had them 10,000 years ago holding them holding hands. You will see the goddess, or the god, Kununanu. Kununanu fashioning a human being on the potter's wheel long before Moses was born. So a lot of that stuff, a lot of religions are just historically mixed and mingled and pulled together by different people. But I just wanted to come home and teach the truth, but also to give my people an opportunity to get involved in the community by and help each other and help ourselves because we have to help our children. So we want to make sure we're here to help our children. We give money to the schools and give books to the schools. And we also give away a lot of food. We give away a lot of food here. Uh, we're going to be starting a, a health program here. We're writing a health book, and but we're also going to be having exercise classes, yoga classes, as well as Tai Chi classes. Teaching people how to be healthy. But my main perspective, as well as religion, is to do my civil rights activity. As an advocate, whereas I heard you mention activists, is there can, yeah. is there a, is there a way for you to explain the difference between the it's two? Not, There's not a difference between not, the two. It's just yeah. a word. Okay. Activists usually advocate for something. That's right. An advocate usually becomes an activist for something. Okay. Both of them are just activists. It, it's just the words that you use. Okay. Yeah. When, at times, I'll be advocating, like I might be advocating for people to go to to get their registrations to go to, to vote. I'm advocating for that. I'm advocating to have better schools or to have more black people in schools. So I'm advocating now, and I have some men, and we're going to be advocating for Wilmington to make sure that they don't make Williston and the other schools that were normally black schools dump schools because they put all the worst students in these schools. That's what I'm advocating for. But that means that's, that's, that's still part of the work of the, of the activists. Okay. 
advocate for different things. Those are the specific things. Activist is what you do. Okay. Yeah. So I started out as an activist. You started out <laughs> as an activist. Then I started advocating advocate. for other yeah. things. <laughs> Um, okay, well that was just to give a timeline um, of your history and positions. Now, um, I want to start off with, with the recent death of George Floyd. We, we touched on it a little bit um, prior to Kevin arriving. Um, what do we think was the difference between George Floyd's case versus other cases that were similar? Because clearly this isn't the first time it's happened, it's not the second time it's happened. So what do you think, um, I'll direct that to you Kevin, what do you think um, was different in George Floyd's case? I think the stance of the officer as he kneeled, um, what I, and I've been talking about this ever since it happened, you know, it's difficult to stand on a person's foot for nearly nine minutes without having to adjust yourself or them adjust. So imagine kneeling on a person's neck for nearly nine minutes. You know, and it was the intent. He was, he wasn't just trying to do a job. He was, he was posing. It was yeah. like it, it. To me, it just reminded me of a big game hunter. Like he had, you know, just conquered a lion, conquered an elephant, and he was posing for that picture, um, for the world to see, and you know, and, and for, for society to see a person die in that fashion, and then. You know, what we've seen in the past few months, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, you know, it, that was just the culmination of everything. But for you to be just that cold and to cold, bold, um, you know, malicious and right there in front of everybody like it wasn't a thing. And to hear a grown man, you know, calling out for his dead mother, you know, that resonated in the souls of people. And, and a lot of people talked about, you know, the looting and the rioting and whatever. But the people on the other side of that don't know what it's like to be wrapped in this skin. And, and so for me, it, it's always about being grounded. No matter how, how high I climb or, or who I'm talking to or who, whose presence I'm in, I want them to know that I'm still a part of that struggle. Because there's no difference than me and George Floyd now other than councilmen being in front of us. A lot of times we have stories where we were in similar situations or close to a situation like that. And you know, you, you think now, I mean, I have three children of my own, two bonus children, and I'm about to have a, a grandson wow. next month. So, you know, we, we, we know we've been dealing with but we know that we don't want to deal with this anymore. And, and it's now that the, the, the woke people have awakened and, and they can see what's taking place. You know, they want to participate for whatever reason. And, and we'll take it for what it's worth. But when, when people go back, you know, when society opens back up and, and people are able to go back and do the things that they want to do, it'll still be us here doing the work that we've been doing. The main difference is the fact that you did have three deaths at one time that were conflating the people's attention and conflating the very ominous reality is that something is wrong in this country when in less than a month, three African Americans can be killed by the police without question, without them having done anything very that was dangerous, that was 
questionable, and they were just gone. And before you have a black person killed this year, maybe one killed two years later. So black, the white folks always segregated as just an isolated situation. And this is how they satisfied and said, well, that was just another isolated situation with Tamir. This is another isolated situation with uh, Trayvon, you know, and all the other, because they were so far apart. So they couldn't put it together. But in one month's time, you got three African-Americans killed by police, and all of it was very obvious that neither one of them should have been killed. But I also think, more than anything, this was the time. Uh, there's always a time for everything. And Martin Luther King used to call it Zetgeist, uh, Zetgeist. And that means that's when the elements in the universe and the elements uh, in the world are just coming together to put things in perspective so whatever is happening in terms of between man and what is going on between man and government and man and nature, whatever, it comes together to a head where something has to change. It's just like what uh, Edison, not Edison, but uh, Einstein called the quantum leap. When everything comes together, then there's a big leap. We've been having marches and marches and ways in hell forever. But now, this time, you got more white folks marching than black folks. And my, now let me give you a little bit of uh, introspection on that. But we had, for the last seven or eight years, we had what was called Moral Mondays. I don't know if you've heard about that. We had them in Raleigh every Monday from April to August, and from 2013 to 2017, 2018, 18, yeah, 18, 18. That's where Dr. Barber comes from. You heard about that? He was leading them. That's what brought the white folks out, actually, because it was more white folks at the Moral Mondays than black folks. And then more white folks were interested in getting involved in more money across the country. And they started having them across the country. This helped open their eyes to get a more clear-cut understanding of all of the in, what I would say, injustices and uh, inhumanity that was given to black folks. They learned about how black folks couldn't afford medicine. And then they realized there were a lot of white folks couldn't afford medicine. And how uh, we didn't have the, enough money to pay our rent and stuff. And then we found out right here in North Carolina when Tom Tillis denied he and the governor, who was Pat McCrory at the time, decided they were not going to sign uh, Obama's um, Affordable Care Act so that there would not be expanded Medicare. And when there was an expanded Medicare, over 500,000 people in North Carolina lost their, their ability to get care for. And that's what brought white folks out. They began to see then and began to realize that there was a problem in this country that not only dealt with color, but dealt with class, that dealt with economics. See what I'm saying? And then so when this happened, white folks began to realize, you know what, this could happen to us too if we're poor or if we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I still think it's a part of what God was doing. I've been preaching and teaching my church for the past three years that actually in America and nowhere else, we're living in judgment time. Not the end of the world, but judgment. Judgment is when God allows things to happen, allow the confluences of the universe to come together, where people begin to realize that, you know what, you're not in control. You know what, you don't have as much time as you think you have. And what was happening is, just in the last five years, when we've had all the floods and the hurricanes and stuff like that, what people hadn't realized is that because of the flood, just the hurricane and the floods, First of all, we're losing a lot 
of sure land, and the waters are coming in further, which is going to make it almost impossible in the next three or four years for people to live on the coast, all right, because they're becoming floodplain. The second thing is when, they, when the Missouri River and the Mississippi River has flooded every year for the last five years, they have washed away the topsoil. So that is the heart of the country. That is where most of the food is, uh, what you call it? Is raised, where they put the produce. produce, where they produce all the food. So now what is called the food belt of America is almost diminished. And this year alone, they're gonna, we're going to be losing food long before, long before this, this stuff happens. So then we have the uh, virus comes along. Before you get into yeah. the virus. No, no, I'm not getting into the virus. I'm just showing you the confluence of all of these things. Yeah. All of these things come together that man didn't have nothing to do with, but he did, but he doesn't. You understand? Because we're in judgment because we're being punished, and you can think what you want. I just feel like this is the punishment that we'll get because America is such a wicked country. America is such a diabolical country. And it's time for America to wake up. And if you read Revelations 14 through 18, you know what it says in 15? It says in 15, well in 14 and 15 it says that it will become a time when the sun is so hot that man will be burnt by the sun. Now I used to play with Carolyn and Jerry all day long. <laughs> and I had never get sunburned. None of them did that. But now you go out there now on a sunny day, black, I don't care what color you is, that sun burns, okay? And that's the way the scripture reads, that the sun will be... Men will be burned by the sun. That's not a coincidence. All right? But then it also says, if you read, uh, 14, uh, I think it's 15 and 8, it says that, and the churches will be empty. Wow. The churches will be empty. Man won't be able to go to church for a while. Now that's very, very, to me, coincidental, or is that prophetic? You know, I believe in prophecy. I believe in the prophetic word of God. I believe that nothing happens for nothing. Mm. That everything has to come together, whether it's uh, uh, astrologically, galactically, or spiritually. And these things are happening spiritually. It is just time for white folks in this country to realize that they're no better than us. And somebody's going to raise their head and say, listen, it's time for justice and equality in this country. And it just so happened that three people were killed in one month, and everybody had to be were able to see this is not a coincidence. This is a problem. And that's what happened. And then we find out now that it was another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And at the same, in the same week when George Floyd was killed, they found two brothers hung. Mm -hmm. But since that time, they done found six more. Everybody's wondering why these men be hung. Then they found out some information where it says that they are, what they call them, white supremacists are saying they're going to kill as many Negroes as they can, as many black folks as they can. All of this is just, just the culmination of a bunch of things. That's zeitgeist at the right time. You just mentioned the pandemic. That was actually a question I was going to ask. Go Do we think that the pandemic actually played a part in people waking up? Because, you know, more people are quarantined, they're at home. So do you think the pandemic might have played a part in that as well? The pandemic has had a two-edged sword. First of all, it's making people realize that they have no control. That's the one thing that God wants all of us to see. You have no control of anything, really. Mm -hmm. You know. But the second time thing is this. You know, 
God inspires us and, and requires us to take time to think, to meditate. Not just to pray, but to meditate. Assess the situations of man, the situations of They need to be thinking. But they're more concerned about getting out the house, going to the beach, doing what they want to do. They even begin to say that this is unconstitutional. Right? <laughs> so you're going to tell right. me that the coronavirus is unconstitutional because the only way that you cannot get it is stay your hind parts home and act like a civilized individual and wait till God says it's all right for you to come out. Which means they have no respect for the things of God. They have no respect for what for God does in the time of God. They want to do what they want to do. And God is trying to show us that you are not in charge. Did you want to add to that, Kevin? I will, I will, I will. I, I think um, the pandemic is a part of the reason why we see so much activity. Um, people have been at home dormant, glued to social media, glued to the TV, glued to everything. All, all we hear right now is COVID-19, coronavirus, stay at home, shelter in place, murder, 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 you know, so you really need to disengage, you know, to to keep some level of sanity. But, you know, and so that's what you're seeing. So people are saying, well, you know, you want me to stay in the house, but this is going on outside. I'm going to go outside and be a part of it. I'm going to go outside and be a part of history. And I, I'm like Reverend Kojo, you know, that you talked earlier, people say you're an advocate or an activist. Why aren't you out here? Well, I got babies in the house. I got a family at home, so I'm not, I, you know, I, the coronavirus has provided me more time to be at home. I mean, I'm working, I'm at home. I'm working, I'm at home, and we are having city council meetings on Zoom. So, you know, even if I'm in the house, the kids are going to go nuts because I'm home. But, you know, so sometimes I'm, I'm sitting in the car having a city council meeting because it's quiet in there. But I'm still able, you know, I'm right outside the house or, you know, I'm there. So that, that level of peace and quiet and, you know, being able to stay home and stay grounded is there. But you're getting people who are saying, I'm, I'm going to go outside and be a part of this. I'm going to go outside and be history. This is history. This is a historical moment. And that's how a lot of people are feeling. Generation Z or Generation um, Wires, they're out there right now in the street because they have not experienced this. They haven't paid attention to this. We've seen it over and over and over and over and over again. But now this is them. Um, this is the story to get to tell to their children. You know, when George Floyd was killed, we were out in the streets of Wilmington. Um, we took the statues down. We got the first black police chief hired. They, they, they want to be a part of that historical moment. You know, it's kind of like someone being able to say, you know, I knew Dr. King. I was at the Montgomery bus boycotts or, you know, I was part of the Wilmington 10 or, or something like that. I remember the city, city burning. You know, it's something that they want to be a part of that legacy. They want to be a part of that change. So it makes sense. But like I said earlier, when everything opens back up, and the dust settles, who's still going to do it? Another thing is, is why I say this is zeitgeist. If we think about historically about all of our ancestors and the way that they did things and how they did it and the time that they did it, then we can realize there's a time for everyone, just like Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for everything. There's a time for everyone to do what they have to do. One of our greatest leaders was a man by the name of Marcus Darby. 
Marcus Garvey is actually the one who adopted the red, black, and green, the creator of the red, black, and green, as the symbol of our unity and our destiny. But Marcus Garvey said something that all of our children need to hear, and all of our different groups need to hear. He says, every generation is endowed with a mission. This ain't got nothing to do with somebody giving you orders. This is the universe giving you orders. Every generation is endowed with a mission. You either pursue it or betray it. And you have to decide when you feel the urge, when you feel the unction, when you feel the pain, do you pursue it and try to become a part of the remedy or become a part of the problem? I know for me personally, um, I think George Floyd's case was the first time I actually had hands on. Of course, I hear about, you know, you hear about it on the news. Um, you talk about it at work, but this was the first time that I actually, it hit me and I did have the opportunity to go to his wake. And um, I don't know, I can't explain the feeling that I felt when I walked up to walk to the casket. I do know like the first thing that came to, that came to my head, like I could actually see the video of the officer with his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck and it was like a it's like an overwhelming feeling, I don't know. And I think walking away from that and even witnessing like the family coming in and I even, I, um, I even, I made a post about it because I, I haven't ever been involved in like any of the, you know, the um, protests or anything like that. And I've never, I, I was, um, I even told a few, few people that I know, like even standing with your fists clenched, I've never experienced that before. That was like my first time and it was empowering in a sense. And so when I came home from that, it was, I did have the feeling like a lot of me, uh, like many other people, like what, like what can you do? Like what do you do? And that's when I actually reached out to Kevin and was like, okay, well, I have a podcast, I have a platform, so maybe this is something that can be done. And that was the response that Kevin had given me, like, this is what you can do, you know, have the conversation. So that's why I wanted to, um, you know, to, to make this platform available. Um, I know I, uh, you mentioned that you were a part of like a lot of protests and led protests. That's something I actually want to talk about um, with protesting. Because a lot of people, you know, we had a lot of different reactions from the protests. But like you said, a lot of people don't know what it's like to be wrapped in the skin. So with protesting, how effective... When you do any kind of protest, the one thing that you should never consider is whether or not you're going to have a any impact even though the objective is to have an impact. But the main objective is to get out there and let people know that there's something wrong. You're just like, you're, you're the uh, town crier. You're making noise so that people can see there's something wrong, there's something going on. That's what you do with protests. And if it is right, if it is good, it will take off just like a disease or like a contagion. It'll take off and start spreading just like this one did. And we've had many protests, and people pay attention, you know, but just a few people pay attention. But it's just to let people know, you know, something is wrong at this moment, something is wrong at this time, with whatever is going on. And you always become full, you're overwhelmed, and they are quite an experience for the individuals who's involved. But you should never be in the protest if you're looking for any kind of uh, props, any kind of, uh, you know, platitudes or anything like that, 
And you shouldn't even be looking for any kind of immediate response or immediate gratification because very seldom does it come immediately, if you understand what I'm saying. Because it does not. But you do it because it's necessary. It's just like if you saw a kid out there get beat up by somebody, which never happens anymore, you need to run out there and say, hey, y'all need to stop this. That this is wrong. That's what happened when we in the But that's what happened. People wouldn't let you do that. Yeah. But now they'll let you kill somebody, they'll let you hurt somebody, and they'll stand and they won't say anything. Film it. And film it. And won't say a word. Mm. But before somebody would come out, they didn't care how mad you get. They didn't care if they were going to suffer any kind of difficulties themselves. They knew it was wrong, and they came out and they said something, they did something. That's what protesting is about. Something is wrong. Let's let the people know that we don't like what is going on. We don't appreciate what's going on. We may not can't change it, but we're going to do something about it. We're going to call attention to it. You might not be the one that get the people to respond, but you could be the catalyst for the next one. Right. And that's the whole objective. For those people that get in and think, oh yeah, I want to make a difference, I'm going to make a difference. Not, not necessarily, not right then. Because you may never be known. Okay. So don't even get in for that. Get in it because it's right. Get in it because it's real. Get in it because it's necessary. And you do it because it's the right thing to do. And God has compelled you in your heart to do that thing with your sense of rightness. Did you want to add something? I will, I will. I, I think he, he's spot on with that. Um, but when, what we've seen historically, when we've seen studied protests, I, I studied, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of, of Malcolm X, I'm a huge fan of Martin. I'm just a huge fan of the movement in general. And, you know, to see the attention that we used to pay to the issue, how we could get groups, how we could get hundreds of people. I mean, can you imagine, you know, going from Georgia, Alabama, going all the way to March on Washington? You know, stances like that. And so I think when early on when I was, I said, I'm gonna have a protest. I want 300, 500 people out here because like, like he said, you are the town crier. And here's the message. And the people with you in solidarity give the impression that the, the people or the powers that be have to take you more seriously the more people they see. The more times they hear that, hey, this is the issue and we, we stand on this and we don't want to deal with it anymore, the more serious they're going to take the issue at hand. And what you see here is you can get a few people out. Um, and you can, but it's easier for a person to type. It's, it's easier for a person to be a social media activist or advocate. People, it takes bodies in the seat, in seats, and bodies in the streets for the message to really be profound. And that's the one thing that we've lacked up to currently, uh, presently, where we see, like Reverend Kojo mentioned earlier a lot of white folks in the streets. But you question the validity of the movement because there's nothing else for you to do. You know what I mean? This has been our struggle. This has been our struggle for a lifetime. Not just because it's trending, 
there, there was a there was a George Floyd before there was a George Floyd. There was a Ahmaud Arbery before there was a Ahmaud Arbery. There was a Breonna Taylor before. You know, there was a, a Trayvon Martin, a Walter Scott, a Tamir Rice. All all of these people. I mean, what's the young man, Mr. Brooks in Atlanta? A week after George Floyd was killed, so you know. What is the message that we're sending, and what what by you being in the streets now? What are you saying? Right. How'd you miss it? How'd you not hear us prior to now, until in, until you saw this? And and I want to say I never even saw George Floyd video. I, I couldn't make myself watch. Mm. I I felt the pain just by knowing, just by reading what happened. So I didn't even have to watch the video. You know, I, I I I could just that pain, the 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 lifeness, the life going out of your body at the cause of another person, and, and somebody's there, and, and then we think like, wow, somebody's there recording. But nobody thought just to, to just to run, rush him, push him. You know, even you know some kind of reaction, even from fellow officers. Um, bystanders, and then you know there, there's this thing called the bystander effect, where the bystanders are standing around, and, but they're expecting someone else to jump in and help. And, and again, like Reverend Kojo said, oftentimes I've been that help. I know one night I was walking downtown and I was walking past a bar, and it would seem like the whole bar was white, and it was one oh, little spot in there. And they had him in the headlock. And they, they had him in the headlock and they was all around and they was hyped up. And I was it was me and somebody else. And before I knew it, I ran in the bar. I said, let that man go. Let him go. And they looked at me like I was crazy. I said, let him go. And I and I grabbed him, I pulled him out. And so they were like, who, who are you? Who do you think you are? I said, I can tell you what, if you touch me, it's gonna be a bad day in here. And they're like, he he ran up a tab and he don't have any money. I said, so what? It has nothing to do with you. And then he started saying, so what if I did? I said, you shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you shut up. You shut up. Now, I'm going to get you out of here. Help you. Yeah, I'm, I'm helping you. But listen, these people want to tear you up. But you know, that's what activism is. That's what protest is in injustice. I, I didn't, you know, normally or I would say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that would have been his business. Mm -hmm. But when when it's activated in you, like, like the Reverend said, when the universe says, boom, it's your time. It's your time for you to go out here and, and fight for what's taking place out here. You just do it. Right. And so in a lot of times that's where I've been. So to wrap that long walk around the block up, I mean, there have been a lot of times when I had a protest, it may have, and, and I've always said I want 500, 300 people, it may have been 30 people, may have been 40 people, but it didn't, it didn't slight the message, it didn't slight the stance that of what took place to the people that were there, because they felt like they were a part of something, and, and that has built every time that something has happened and we protested or we took a stance to say, hey, this is wrong, you get those same people out there. Right. Yeah. So. Well, I was going to tell you this. You know, everything I'm talking about is spiritual. You know, I try, I try to deal with the universe. Uh, 
another thing that can this can be looked at another from another vein, another view is that this is also, as Dr. Barber has said, this is the third reconstruction. The first one, reconstruction seems always to come after there's a big change in the state of the nation or the state of what is going on. Right after slavery, right after Civil War was reconstruction. But during reconstruction, reconstruction is just as bad as what the previous conditions were because in reconstruction there they are trying to come and put it back the way it was instead of moving forward and making it better. They raised more hell and gave us just as much brutality after the Civil War. Remember, they were they put people, they, they had what was called the peonage, and black folks would get arrested for no reason. They could go to, back to prison for no reason, even though they had been freed from slavery. Because they had no real identity or they had no real certification of identity, if they saw them walking around, they could put them in the, That's where vagrancy comes from. We consider vagrants, but they would they can pick up a black man anywhere and put him on a farm breaking rocks for years and nobody would ever know where he was. That was the first reconstruction after the war. And during the first reconstruction is when they had the 1898 massacre. During the first reconstruction, they were killing people. That was when they had Redwood. That was when they had Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that's what's when they started Jim Crow. You know that? And then Martin Luther King came and he had the Civil Rights Movement. But we don't. We realize that a lot of things happened during the Civil Rights Movement, and we were able to make some advances. But after the Civil Rights Movement, they changed the state and nature of all of the parties. The Republican Party got worse, and they changed the Republican Party. The Democrats, who should have been the racists, became the good people, and the Republicans became the racists. They changed everything around. They became the party that represented. The, the uh, aristocracy in America and those who owned people and things, and they became the ones who pre were the protectors of the wealthy. Success, positive attitudes, thinking higher. You can do anything you desire. Positive attitudes, thinking higher. You can do anything you desire. 